Word of God. I love this chapter of Scripture. I love the one whom it's exalting. We talked about the first five verses this morning. I want to begin at verse 6. And uh, I hope to be able to work down to verse 11. I don't know how you categorize that preaching. That's just my goal. So that we can take up tomorrow night at verse 12. I'd like by Wednesday night to be talking about verse 31. When the time that God's given us together uh, is over. Verses 6 through 11. Would you stand with me while I read this portion of the Word of God? And we stand, of course, just to honor the book. It's a strange statement in verse 6. It's the Lord talking, we believe. But I am a, fill in the blank, I am a worm. And no man considers himself a nobody and no man. A reproach of men and despised of the people. That's not what we think of him. It's what the world thinks of him. I think he's king of kings. Fairest among 10,000. Altogether lovely. But they despise him. Verse 7. All they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip. Shake the head. Saying, He trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Well, let him deliver him seeing he delighteth in him. That's mockery there. Verse 9, this is Jesus talking to his Father. Thou art he that took me out of the womb. Thou didst make me hope when I was on my mother's breasts. I was cast upon thee from the womb Thou art my God from my mother's belly. Preacher, there are those who believe that Psalm 22 in a way gives a biography of our Savior. His life story. Well, there's his birth. And I know good and well it talks about his death. I believe his resurrection will be in here if we'll look. It may be the biography of our Lord. Verse 11, I need to read it. He's praying to his Father, Be not far from me. Now we learned this morning the Father has forsaken him. Yet he continues to pray. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none, there is none, to help. You may be seated. Oh, what dark hours our Savior experienced at Calvary. 
just a verse at a time. Some of these fellows are so good at outlining, and their outlines are incisive, memorable, helpful. Never been able to do that. I just look at it as it comes, and honestly, if I were to preach this again, I wouldn't be, it'd be a totally different sermon. All I've, I, I've studied, I've prayed, and all I'm going to do now is share with you what the Holy Ghost brings to my mind Amen. and my heart. The Holy Ghost is not here, I'm sunk. But I've got some good news. He's here. He's here. I, verse 6, I am a worm. I am a worm. One of the most unusual statements in this psalm and that our Savior ever made. I am a worm. Seven times, y'all know this, in the Gospel of John, he uses that famous sentence, I am. I am. Anybody here believe he's the good shepherd? Amen. I am. The good. Anybody believe he's the life? Amen. Eternal life. Abundant life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Anybody believe he's the resurrection? He said it all. And when he said I am, those are the I am's with predicates. There's some I am's in the gospel of John that have no predicates. Here's one. Before Abraham was, I am. That blew the mind of the Pharisees. Before Abraham was, I am. Why is Jesus so keen on this I am point of doctrine? It goes back to the book of Exodus. It goes back to that burning bush. It goes back to Moses the day God called him. And Moses had to have some authenticity. He had to have some authority. Who will I say sent me? You want me to go to Pharaoh? And there... God gives his name. Y'all do remember it, don't you? You said, you go tell him, I need some amen. I am that I am. Jesus has the audacity to take God's name on his lips and self-identify as God. Let me change that word, audacity. Will I get a little help here? Jesus is God. He's not overstepping his bounds one iota. Being in the form of God, he thought it not robbery to be equal with God. He didn't do a thing wrong when he said, I am. But here, I am a worm. That's hardly the greatest I am statement he ever made, or is it? I am a worm. Now y'all may be familiar with this. I, I've learned it and I'm excited about it. That Hebrew noun for worm, let me spell it. T-O-L-A, tola. Preacher, there are a lot of times the word worm occurs in the Old Testament and it's not tola. 
This is a technical and special word for the kind of worm that Jesus says he is. I am a worm. And you got to remember, he says it on Calvary, the cross of Calvary. Are y'all with me? What does Tola mean? Tola in the Old Testament over 30 times. Tola shini. Tola shini. Oh, oh, okay. We're going to talk about this five minutes. First of all, there is such a thing as a tola worm. They do exist in nature. They became quite scarce for a while, but I read the other day, and I can document it, the rabbis in Israel are again cultivating and growing tola worms. It's making a comeback. Tola worm. What does it mean? This is, what, this is the value of the tola worm to, a, to an Israeli, to a rabbi. They take those worms, especially in antiquity. They take those worms. They're a little bit rare, costly. They gather them. They put them in a bowl. And I don't know any other way to word it. They squash them, pulverize them, liquefy them. And the blood of that tola worm makes the deepest, darkest red dye, red dye known to man to this day. They use that red dye to dye the scarlet in the high priest's robe. They used it to dye the scarlet in the veil in the temple. It is used in acts of worship of an almighty God. Scarlet. It is tola, shini, scarlet, or crimson. And that's the word for worm. Our Savior chooses to I am a tola worm. I wouldn't be surprised. It's a reference to the B-L-O-O-D. I wouldn't be surprised. It's a reference to the blood of Jesus. Anybody think there's something special about his blood? I am a worm. They said, I, I can't verify, I didn't live in those days. They said, if you ever get that Tola worm die, that red skin, said if you ever get it on you, somebody say amen, you'll never get it off. I'm sure a chemist today with all the what that debate said if you ever get it on you, you'll never get it off. Hallelujah. One day I got it on me. One day it got all over me. One day I got washed in the blood of the Lamb. I'm pretty sure it's indelible. I'm pretty sure it's permanent. I'm pretty sure the devil can't erase it. Hallelujah. And that's the word. Jesus said, I am a worm. Now, and I hesitated to preach this for a while because I couldn't prove it. If you're going to say something, you need to be able to document it. But now I can. 
I've got two reliable I'm going to tell you the life story of the Tola worm. T-O-L-A, Tola worm. It would interest you to know the Tola worm lives his whole life around a tree. It never leaves the vicinity of its host tree. Now just be thinking, tree, tree. My Tola worm, my Savior, did his greatest work around a tree, I might add. The life cycle of the Tola worm, not an extremely long life cycle, ends his debt. Oh, preacher. Somehow, God's built it into him. That little Tola worm knows when he's going to die. It knows in advance the day it's going to die. And we're aware of that because of something my back knows in advance the day it's going to die. Oh, I'm really going out on a limb here. What, did, what would you say what would you, if I told you I'm pretty sure my Savior knew in advance the day he was going to die? Mine hour's not yet come. He said it again and again. Uh, his first miracle to his mother, my hour's not yet come. But then finally the day arrived. He said, my hour is come. He knew, he knew, not only he knew when he was going to lay down his life. Here's how the Tola worm dies. Crawls up the tree around which his life is centered. Right there in the middle of that tree. It exudes a, and all I know to say is a God-given adhesive and attaches itself to that tree and dies. I am a Tola worm. How many of you believe Jesus was attached to that tree that day? How many of you believe he died that day? Here's how the Tola worm dies. I've got it by scientists now. The moment of their death, their little body rips asunder, bursts in half, and that red blood, that red scarlet juice begins to run down that tree. You know, they did pierce his hands and his feet. You know, they did thrust a, a sword through his side. His blood flows freely at Calvary. And as that blood, as that worm dies, that blood, as that worm dies, get this preacher, it gives birth to its young. It gives birth to its young. Brother Bagwell, I don't understand that. Jesus died on the cross of Calvary that day. Somebody say amen. There's a whole bunch of people got saved. <laughs> and I know as far as reference of time, I didn't get saved until I was a six-year-old lad, but Jesus took care of my salvation. 2000, when the little worm dies, it gives birth to its young. Hallelujah. 
Well, the Lord sure knows how to choose worms, doesn't he? And those little, and there's a better word, wormlets, that's what I'm going to call them. For weeks to come, feed, eat, and are nourished on the blood, on the blood of the dead Tola worm. Now let me see if anybody, I've been eating, I've been feasting, I've been delighting in the death of Jesus and the blood of the Lamb for a long time now. We're going to see it later in the psalm, how we can eat and enjoy the fruit that our Savior accomplished on Calvary. And after they have eaten in their nurse and get big enough to care for themselves, the text says that red blood, as it dries, that red blood turns white turns as white as snow as it dries. Red, white, anybody with me? Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Jesus knew what he was talking about when he said, I am a worm. And no man Isn't that the next line? And no man. Preacher, what does that mean? And I sort of said it when I was a nobody. The word there for uh, for man, there's several words for men in Hebrew. This one is I-Y-S-H, ish. And it's man in his weakest form. Man in his lowest form. Man in his most undignified issue. I am no man. Did I make an announcement? He became a nobody that we could become somebody. And if you're saved, you are somebody in the eyes of God. Mm. I am a worm. Verse six, I'll have to hurry now. A reproach of men, they belittle him. A reproach of men I believe that word for reproach eight times. It is translated mocked. They mocked our Savior as he hung up. We don't learn all of this in the Gospels, but we're learning it of him in Psalm 22. It's a first person account of our Savior dying on Calvary and despised of the people. The word despised has at its very heart the word vile. The word, obviously, despicable. Despised of the people. They hated our Savior. I made up my mind, if they're going to hate him, I'm going to love him. If they're going to despise him, I'm going to cherish him. Let's look at verse number seven. All they that see me, all they that see me. You see, the Roman government, when they crucified an individual, man or woman, they crucified both, 
if they had broken, they say, certain laws. They don't crucify them in the back corner of an alley somewhere. Always in a public place. Always in a place where, hopefully, crowds will go by and will look. They believe that's a deterrent to giving Rome any trouble. Kill them. Cause them great torture and pain. And do it. And, and the Lord, all they that see me, there he hangs. No telling how many people, all they that see me. He's aware of the fact that they're, excuse my word, he's aware of the fact they're gawking at him. They're staring at him. That'll come out more clearly later in the song. All they that see me laugh me to scorn. They're laughing. They shoot out the lip. They tell me that means they make faces. We might even say stick out the tongue. They're directing it irreverently. They shake their head as if to say, no hope, no hope. There's no hope for him. They shake their head looking at our Savior. What he suffered on the cross of Calvary. I really believe his spiritual suffering is greater than his physical suffering but we're getting at least a foretaste of what he suffered physically on the old rugged cross. Go with me to verse number eight because it ties in to seven. Listen to their taunting him. He trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. When Jesus said, Eli, Eli, Samah, so back tonight, which is my God, my God, why is that? He said it in Aramaic. Eli, Eli, that's El, El, that's God's name. And they thought he was calling on God to come and rescue him off the cross. That's what they thought. Come, I'm going to say something, and I hope I get an amen or something. That's the farthest thing from Jesus' mind. He don't want off the cross. He wants to pay our sin debt on the cross. Hallelujah. He said in Matthew, I could call 12 legions of angels. Son, a legion is 6,000 soldiers. I could call 12 legions of angels. That's 72,000 angels. They'd get me off this cross. But thank God he didn't. I got a feeling we'd already be in hell if he had done that. But they think he's crying out to God to get him down from the tree. How do you know that, preacher? Look, verse 8. He trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. And the word deliver, I just looked at it a minute ago. It's the word escape. That He would let him escape. Get him off that cross. Oh, my have they misread and misinterpreted our Lord. Look at, look at verse 8 again. He trusted on the Lord. This morning we had the verb more than once, 
batak, B-A-T-A-C-H, which means you believe in him, you, you, you trust him so much, no worry. Remember I used the word careless, no worry. The Holy Ghost has changed words now. It is not trust, but talk. It is trust, galal, G-A-L-A-L, galal. Watch this. I want to show you what this verb trust means. It means to take something heavy. Now somebody smile at me and roll it off of you. Oh, I got to do it again. Take something heavy and roll it away. He trusted in the Lord. It's the word Gilgal from the book of Joshua. Does anybody believe when those heavy burdens come, when those trials and heartaches come? Does anybody believe there's a God on whom we can, on whom we can roll it all? Praise God. He trusted in the Lord. Simon Peter picked up on that. The day he simply said, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Can I make an announcement? Please say amen. We worry too much. Everyone, some worry more than others. I guess we're predisposed to that, but we all worry too. Our God can handle it all. Hallelujah. Roll it over on him. He trusted in the Lord. And Peter said, casting all your care upon him. For he cares for you. Preacher, I'm going to spend three or four minutes on what Peter said. Because it explicates what they're saying about he trusted on the Lord. Casting all your care upon him. The word care, it's the... It's the New Testament word, one New Testament word for worry. Paul said, be careful for nothing. Well, he's not saying walk out in front of the truck coming down the road. He's not saying be, be careful means don't worry. Don't let care. The word, casting all your care, you get it? All your care on him. It's marimna. It's a Greek word. The verb behind marimna is meridzo. I'm going to show you meridzo. Here's your heart. Here you are in church tonight. Second service of revival. Psalm 22, we want to learn. But here's your mind. Now this is the word worry. This is the word for care. You want to listen to the sermon? You got a little problem? Something's wrong? Got a little burden? Something you're going to have to take care of this way? An unanswered question? It means to... Eat away at your heart or your mind and do that. Now my mind's not quite as full to hear the things of God. My heart's not quite as eager. To t- but those worries, they're like little fish nibbling. If you're not careful, it'll come back before the sermon's over again. Let me show you what it'll do. It'll nibble away again. And if you got more than one problem, you're really in trouble. And every time that little care comes and nibbles away, a little less heart, a little less mind to focus on the Word of God or the things of God.
Can I make an announcement? You're going to say, don't let the, neb- don't let the devil nibble you to death. Yeah. Casting all your care, all these burdens on him, for he cares for you. That word cast, casting, it's a present participle, ripto. Let me show you what it means. I'm in God's house. I'm at church. Devil tries to bring one of those little old distractions. I take that thing, I wad it up. Why are you throwing it back there? Jesus said, I love you. I care for you. Cast it on me. I can handle it. It won't burden me down. It won't splinter my mind. It won't fracture my heart. You say, preacher, if I did that, I'd spend the day casting burdens on Jesus, casting problems on him. All I know to say, cast away, hallelujah. He loves us. He cares for us. And that's what they're saying about our Lord. He's rolling all those burdens and all those problems on his father. Could I say it? I said it this morning. What a savior. What a savior. He trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him. Just go ahead and let him do it. And again, that'd be the worst thing that could happen to us. Let him deliver him. Watch this. Seeing he delights in him. Seeing he delights in him. And preacher, right there in the verse, the pronouns get a little indistinct. I think it means since Jesus delights in his Father. But grammatically, it could mean let the Father answer him since the Father delights in the Son. Now that's a delicious problem to think about. Is it Jesus delighting in the Father or is it Father delighting in Jesus? And I've got an answer to that. Yes. Yes. That word delight, it means to take pleasure in. It's got the idea of getting excited about something. It brings you I like that about Abigail. It, it, it brings me great joy. Hallelujah. Anybody reckon Jesus delighted in his father? Listen to him in John 8. I always do the things that please him. He never did a thing without running it through the filter. Does it please my father? He's about to be crucified. John 17, the great prayer. Father, glorify thy son that thy son may glorify thee. He's delighting in his father. Can I convince you? I'm pretty sure the father delighted in the son. He bragged on his son every opportunity. Jesus is being baptized. God steps out over the battlements of heaven. This is my beloved. This is my beloved, delighted son in whom I'm well pleased. Mm. Did it again. The transfiguration. 
as well. Let him. Let him. He's trusting in his Father. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighteth in him. Now let's go to verse 9. Verses 9 and 10 tie together in a way, and I'd like to treat them as such. Jesus talking to his Father. Hey, y'all. This is so amazing. What we're reading, Psalm of David, David wrote it, we covered that. This is, I call it, inner Trinitarian communion. Never seen that in a book. Inner Trinitarian communion. How many of you believe in God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost? He is the Trinity. Now this is going to sound corny. It could be better... I just got an idea the Trinity gets along real well. Don't believe they've ever had an argument. Don't believe there's ever been a rift. And uh, these next two verses are the Son talking to the Father. We're getting to listen in on Holy Ghost revealed Trinitarian communion. By the way, there are times God the Father answers His Son. Thou art my Son. This day I've begotten Thee. I'm going to set You on my holy hill of Zion. Psalm 2, that's the Father talking to the Son. Oh my. We're in, we're, we're in, this is holy ground right here. Watch it. Verse number nine. Thou art he that took me out of the womb. Now wait a minute, preacher. You believe God the Father was there when Jesus was born? It's more than that. Sort of looks like God the Father was the midwife to me. Thou art he that took me out of the womb. Anybody believe God the Father knew when Jesus was born? Come on now. Anybody believe God the Father supervised the whole process? Anybody believe God the Father was in only nine months before Jesus was born? Virgin birth. Thou art he that took me out of the... Jesus is going back to the day of his birth. Father, you were there when I was born. Herod's going to do what he can to disrupt, but he'll never disrupt this birth. This one's supervised by God Almighty. It goes further. Thou art he that took me out of the womb. Thou didst make me hope when I was upon my mother's breasts. You made me hope when I was on my mother's breasts. And preacher, I wish I knew how to handle that. You made me hope when I was on my mother's breasts. Have y'all ever noticed how little children, how trusting they are? You can tell them just about anything and don't lie to them either. They'll believe you. Your mama, your dad. 
A child has got a God-given hope. Jesus says, you're the one that gave me hope when I was up on my mother's breast. I wish I knew how soon Jesus knew things. I know this, Luke 2.52, and Jesus increased in wisdom. And in statue, that means he grew inches, feet. And in favor with God, Jesus increased in wisdom. I'm going to say that. I believe he's the wisest baby that was ever born. We got to believe he's a sinless baby. Amen. I doubt he, I don't know if I'll get it. I doubt, personally, I doubt he ever threw a temper tantrum. Perfect in every way. You made me to hope when I was upon my mind. Somewhere and it's soon, Jesus realized he's the sacrifice for the sin of the world. You say, well, I don't know, Brother Bagman. I know this at age 12. You know, they left him and had to go back and get him. <laughs> That's surprised he's at church. Surprised he's Wist ye not? that I must be about my father's business. He knew then already that whenever it happened, he had hope. Yeah, I'm going to die. They're going to kill me. They're going to crucify me. Hope I get an amen here. But he didn't stay dead, did he? He had hope. He had, I think he still got hope. I think he's given us some hope. Uh, I'm sort of treasuring one called the blessed hope tonight. Now just make me the hope when I was upon my mother's breast. God the Father's the obstetrician. He took me out of the womb. He's a psychiatrist. He knows how to give and instill hope in the life I don't believe, will I get an amen? I don't believe Jesus ever lost hope his whole life. Isaiah 42 says, he will never fail nor be discouraged. He will never fail nor be discouraged. Folks, we've got a great Savior tonight. But but, but I was cast upon thee from the womb. I was cast upon early Biography. I was cast upon thee from the womb. That's an interesting line right there. I started preaching about a quarter till seven. Somebody tell me what time it is. 25 after. All right. So I've been preaching 25, 30, 40 minutes. Wow, I'm sorry I asked. 40 minutes. Thou, you're the one that cast me. I was cast upon thee from the womb. Now, we've seen God the Father, but here, how many of you believe Jesus is the Son of God? God is the Father. I was cast upon thee 
Preacher, I, I, I hesitate to say it, but it's in the text. Listen carefully. I don't want to... I was cast upon thee from the womb. When that little baby's born, that little baby's not cast on daddy. You know where that little baby's cast? From antiquity. He's cast up on mama's tummy. I was cast upon... And he's talking to God. I was cast upon thee. My, my, this is God. Now I'm, I'm going to get in a mess if I'm not careful. How many of you believe God created Adam in his own image? Amen. That's the right answer. Amen. Amen. And then God created Eve, am I right, out of the rib of Adam? Amen. Now I heard a preacher say this. I don't worry, God, he would disagree with what I'm about to say. If Adam is in God's image, and Eve is out of Adam's rib, I'm pretty sure Eve is in God's image too. Amen. Male and female created he them. I'm trying to say God is not only perfect father. I'm trying to say God is also, you see, you have to be careful because of these nuts that, that are uh, uh, trying to uh, rip out the fatherhood of God and destroy the fatherhood. He's not only the perfect father image. He's the perfect mother image too. Now, you say that in some places. You're a liberal, I guess. No, you can't. T- father, I was laid upon you. I was born. Okay. Preacher, I, I, I'd have to think about that. All right. Matthew 23. Oh, Jerusalem. It's our Lord lamenting. Oh, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets. How oft? You wouldn't do it, but how oft would I have gathered you under my wings? As a hen. A hen. Can I make an announcement? You biology majors say amen. A hen's a girl. As a hen gathers her. That's Jesus comparing himself to the mother chicken. Paul told the Thessalonians, said, Mo, I love you. Said, I've been your nurse. I've been a nurse to you. I've nursed you uh, to spiritual growth. Uh, they didn't have men nurses in Paul's day. That's all right. Paul comparing himself graciously, tenderly compared. But here's the, to me, this is the topper of it all. How many of you believe one of God's names is God Almighty? I like your amens. It helps me. Here's the Hebrew for God Almighty. Listen, El Shaddai. I think they wrote a song like that, El Shaddai. And uh, all right, preacher, what does it mean? God Almighty. But that word shed is what interests me. God's the inventor of language. He could have done it anyway. S-H-A-D, shed. Look it up. It is the Hebrew word for breast. Yeah. 
It is the Hebrew word, and I want to say this wisely, for a mother's breast. A mother's breast that will cuddle and love, warm, nourish, feed. And of all the words in the Hebrew vocabulary, God said, I want one to show my strength and my might, but I want it to be brute strength. I want it to have some love. I want it to have some tenderness. I want it to have some kind of, and he comes up with El Shaddai. That's God's name. But he used a feminine, a feminine suffix to go with it. And Jesus says, Father, you're not only the one that took me out of the womb. You're not only the one that guided me, protected me till I was born. When I was born, they laid me. They laid me on your womb. They laid me on your tummy. Could I just say this, and I hope you'll say uh, we got a God who can do it all. Wow. They're just all the way through the psalm. And it's one reason I love it. Just little insights. Little hint. You say, well, Brother Michael, I'll think about that. Believe I'm going to have to go home and study it. To which I say, hallelujah. As a preacher came to me and apologized a week or two ago. He said, it probably looked like I wasn't listening. But he said, I was getting so many sermon ideas from what you were saying, I couldn't hardly keep up. That doesn't offend Brother Bagwell. I like it when the Holy Ghost is working in our midst and and our minds are fertile to hear the things of God. I was cast upon thee from the womb. Thou art my God from my mother's belly. Verse 11, and we'll we'll be through. Oh, it's a prayer again. Have y'all noticed how often Jesus is praying to this? Here's how it started. God's not hearing. God's not answering. God's not listening. In fact, it's stronger than that. God's forsaken His Son. But that didn't stop Jesus from asking. That didn't stop Jesus from praying. We have two parables that talk about importunate prayer. What that means, you just keep on praying. You just keep on praying. Now if God says quit, quit. But otherwise you just keep on. He told Paul, quit. Not going to take the thorn in the flesh. He told Jeremiah, shut up, quit. I'm not going to quit praying for these people. They've gone too far. I'm going to judge them. But other than that, you just get, do like the Lord did. I need an amen. Don't quit praying. Here comes his prayer in verse number one. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. There's probably more to say about this verse than I'm going to take time to say, but I want to give you one thought. This is a prayer thought, preacher. Are y'all still with me? Can I go maybe five, ten more minutes? I'll be done. Uh, and I have preachers that get upset, you know, and say, no, don't say that. Just preach and preach and preach. I need to quit preaching before you quit listening. Now, you little sanctimonious crossroads people, you're just saying, oh, Brother Bagwell, that never happened. 
It's done happening with two or three of you, to be honest with you. I want to quit before you are saturated. Using arguments in prayer. Using arguments to persuade God to answer your prayer. Isn't that a strange thought? Job. Oh my, did he go through the ringer. When it rains, it pours. Job. One day he said, I wish I knew where God was. I wish I could find him. I go forward and he's not there. I go backward. Back. He said, if I could find him, if I could find him, Job's words, I would order my arguments before him. I would give God a bunch of reasons why he ought to answer my prayer. Are y'all getting a load of this? George Mueller, the great George Mueller. I, you, I know you've studied his life. So he said anytime he was praying about anything, Deb said he would take a sheet of paper and put reasons why God should not answer it and reasons why God should answer it. And then he would hold it up and say, God, there they are. I see why you could grant it. I see why you shouldn't. And then he would say this, I need a name and thy will be done. Amen. Job and giving God arguments for prayer. Why, God won't hear that. Whoa. The end of the book of Job, God said something amazing. He said, you three friends, Bill Dad and Zophar, you, you didn't speak what's right. You better get Job to pray for you or you'll answer to me. He rebuked his three friends. But he said, my servant Job, hath spoken that which is right. Job said right. Job said, I'll order my arguments. Before. Tell God why you need that mat. Tell God why your heart is saved. Tell God why you're begging for this intervention from heaven. That's exactly what Jesus does. That's exactly what Jesus does in verse 11. Father, be not far from me. Preacher, that's a paradox. God's forsaken him. Be not far from me. For, for the two F-O-R words, the two fours. For trouble is near. That word trouble, it slips. No, that's Greek. It, it, it is a word that, that means something heavy. Bad heavy, real heavy. Anybody believe there's something real heavy on Jesus at the cross? We'll never know. We'll never understand. For trouble is there. Lord, I need you. Lord, I don't want you to be far away. And the reason, Lord, trouble is near. The devil is how tomorrow night, God willing, I'm trying to stay in my 10 minute frame. That's why I'm talking so quick. Tomorrow night, and I'll show you maybe just to say, I'm going to preach on this subject. <laughs> I think it's John Phillips had the idea. The devil's zoo. The devil's zoo. As Jesus hangs on the cross, he sees four 
different kinds of wild animals around him wanting to do him harm, wanting to thwart God's will, wanting to keep atonement from being made. And uh, so as he prays for trouble is... He's just telling the Father, if you don't help, if you don't come, trouble is near. Reckon it'd be all right if you told God, somebody say amen, the trouble you're having. How everything's gone wrong, tell it to Jesus. For trouble is near. That's sort of the idea, casting all your care. Tell him your troubles. Give them to him. For trouble is near. And then, for, I'm not going to walk back up, doesn't it say, check me. There is none to help. Verse 11. There is none to help. That's argument number two. Father, I'm here all alone. I have nobody else. That, do you see it? Arguments in prayer. Gentle, respectful, reverent persuasions to lay before God that he would answer the prayer. Be not far from me. You know what you could say, fellas? You could say, well, that one didn't get answered. God, for six, I want to I take a little different approach. I'm going to suggest that prayer did get answered. Be not far from me. Wait a minute, brother. You're the one that preached it. Why have you forsaken me? God forsaking his son, help me, was temporary. At most, a few hours. Sin is paid. It is finished. And guess what? God the Father puts that great big arm of omnipotence around his son, and he says, Son, you asked for it. I need an amen. I am near. I am near. And by the way, you handled the trouble well. By the way, you did it alone, but you did it right. I got to say it again. What a Savior. Hallelujah. Two sermons. The agony, the heartache, the suffering our Savior endured on the cross of Calvary. And then tomorrow night, we're going to look at those venomous, predatory beasts that get Jesus is the Lamb of God. Every one of these beasts that are mentioned, and y'all been reading the chapter, you know are enemies to the little lamb. A little lamb's defenseless. And here they come at our Savior. Four different categories of beasts. And by the time it's over, it's beasts zero. Jesus, I don't know what, a hundred, amen. Thousand, million maybe. The Lord conquered through the power of love. Hallelujah. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for a congregation that for the second time today, third time counting Sunday school, been willing to sit and ingest thus saith the Lord. Teach us 
not only to learn your word, but to practice and obey your word. We humbly ask of thee. Let's stand together. Miss Brittany will play. Somebody come thank him. He is willing to be a worm.